2 Timothy 2.15 says this here. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I'll give you just a little testimony. Uh, first of all, there was my salvation. Uh, I remember uh, very distinctly uh, when God's spirit tugged on my heart and I came to faith in Christ at the age of 24. And that was the greatest day of my life. Uh, I was so excited about it. Uh, I went to the pool room. <laughs> that's an odd place to go to, isn't it? Uh, but that's where I used to hang out and told a couple of people I'd gotten saved. And so I remember that. And uh, then later on there was school. Uh, loaded up the family in 1974. We took off, went down to Tennessee Temple, and I went through the Bible school division there and learned a lot about the Bible uh, that I had no uh, clue, wasn't taught Bible stories and things like that growing up. So I began that process. And while I was there, I learned about the scriptures. Uh, they were kind of having a fight there uh, when I was there. They were, uh, some of the students were getting on a couple of the teachers for teaching something else but the King James Bible. And so uh, I remember how I began to study that out and began to come to the conclusion that the King James Version is the best version that's, on, that's in existence today. And I'm not ashamed of that. And I go by uh, textual criticism. And it's just it's very, very simple uh, to show and prove. And then, of course, I wrote the word down, sanctuary. Uh, we began to want to start a church. I graduated, came home, and uh, that first year we had the blizzard. <laughs> uh, well, actually, when I came home, it was freezing. Nothing would open and... Uh, it was just a mess back in those days. And uh, then we had the blizzard, of course, uh, when we started the church. We met in Daryl Toll's house at the beginning and the first week, and then we moved to a sports day camp. They had migrant workers in the day, discotheque on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We had a 5.30 in the morning cleanup crew. We'd go on, disinfect the marijuana smell and everything like that. When I preached, I had a big disco ball above my head. It's true, and uh, it was great. I said, hey, listen, if they start falling asleep, turn that baby on. We're going <laughs> to... So I, I remember those days distinctly. And then over the years, uh, we built Emmanuel, and uh, I remember my service. Uh, I was there for 29 years, and I remember in my 28th year, uh, I came to right division, and I began to see some things. And I began to say, my goodness, where have I been? And uh, I taught the gospel. I taught the Godhead, the scriptures, and all those things. But to rightly divide takes you further. And uh, I, I remember uh, that I began to have to take a stand in my last year there. And then, of course, we went to university heights there for a couple years and it was a real battle uh, that I used to have in certain meetings and I just say if I'm wrong show me where I'm wrong and uh, so uh, we felt God working that we 
this church was going down, and so we, through the graciousness of a lot of people, put their name on the dotted line many years ago, uh, 13 years ago, and uh, we began to buy uh, this place here. And we renovated it right from the very, very beginning. People stepped up and helped so much. Uh, you can't believe how this place was when we first got here. And we're grateful to all the people, the sacrifices that have made everything possible. But as a pastor, you wouldn't dream the battles uh, that one faces just because he believes in right division or dispensationalism. And the battles have been hot and heavy out throughout the years, but we're still standing, amen? We're still standing. God's been good to us, and he's helped us through everything. We were really beginning to grow, and then the pandemic hit, and uh, that's knocked everybody down somewhat. But I'm grateful that people are beginning to get over it, and uh, we lost a couple people we love, and, uh, but God's been good. Uh, to be able to show us that uh, he'll take care of us all through it. And he has, and we're so grateful for that. Dispensation, what does that mean? It's the understanding of Scripture with respect to its context. I was always taught context, context, context. That is so critical. And it's how God progressively revealed information to mankind over a period of time. And he's been doing that now for between six and 7,000 years to mankind upon the earth. God gave different instructions to different people at different times for different purposes. He created the first dispensation called innocence. That's where Adam and Eve lived sinless at that time. Then the dispensation of conscience. That's after man fell in sin. He had a conscience because of sin now. And then later on, God destroyed the world by a flood, and when Noah left the ark, God created the dispensation of government. And he told him how government was to function. And later on, uh, because man continued uh, to turn his back on God, Tower of Babel and so on, God reached down, and he called out a man by the name of Abram, who became Abraham, of course. And he created the dispensation of promise. Through Abraham was promised that Messiah would come through one day, the answer to man. And later on, adding to promise, he created the dispensation of law. And he did that through Moses. And so Israelites have a promise, the Abrahamic covenant, and then the law was to show them their sin and need of that coming promise, the seed, Jesus Christ. But then Israel said no. They didn't believe in Messiah as a whole, as a nation. A few did, but as a nation. And as a result of that, God created a different dispensation called the dispensation of grace. And that's what we're in today. It's been going on now for some 2,000 years. God is a merciful God, isn't he? Later on, when we're raptured out of here, he'll go back to the Jews with the gospel of the kingdom. And they will have their kingdom one of these days. Now, when studying the Bible, respecting these differences 
It's called dispensational Bible study. It's God's purpose and instructions to Israel with her promised earthly kingdom showing that that is drastically different from God's purpose for today's body of Christ. We are so different from Israel, the body of Christ today. And right division respects God-changing dispensations. Somebody said, well, you're Pauline, whatever they add to that. Well, we recognize Paul as the body of Christ apostle. The twelves, not our apostles. Paul is our apostle, and he wrote 13 of his epistles, and they are specifically to the body of Christ. Paul gives the church body today its teachings and its doctrine mostly. That's for today. God chose Paul to reveal God's new message that had been hidden in past ages. It's the gospel of grace. And that gospel of grace reveals Christ's work, its accomplishments in his death, burial, and resurrection. And all that's needed today for one to be saved is to believe he's the son of God. He died for their sins, he was buried, and he rose again. If they will believe with their mind because they understand that to their heart, it's for them, they can be saved at that moment. Christ's work, his accomplishments of the cross and the empty tomb, its accomplishments, now get this, was never ever known by man until Paul. You'll never find it prior to Paul, the accomplishments of the cross and the resurrection. And Paul wasn't saved until Acts 9. That means the Old Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and early Acts is not to the body of Christ, but it's to the nation of Israel. The body of Christ does not begin until Paul comes on the scene who shows what the accomplishments of the cross did and accomplished so we could have the gospel and be saved by grace. Thank God for that. The only source for spiritual truth, spiritual truth, is found in the Bible. God has inspired his word and preserved it inerrant. And that word is for us to use today. In matters of faith and our practice, the way we live, God's word is the final authority. Not scholarship, not philosophy, not man's opinions or what culture says, not what the majority of the world says, and even not the majority of what Christendom says, but what the word of God says. Many ask, why is it right why is right division believed and followed by so few? How come they're just not out there everywhere? Well, they assume that dispensational Bible study is so rarely taught. It's only embraced by a few. 
So it must not be true. They're little in their numbers. It must be wrong. Just remember this. The majority doesn't always determine what is true and what is not. Amen? The truth is, God of the Bible has never had the majority on his side. <laughs> Amen? How many followed Noah? Huh? And millions were flooded away, taken away. There were eight in that ark. How many believe Joshua and Caleb's report? The whole nation had to go 40 more years in the wilderness because of unbelief. How many didn't bow to Baal in northern Israel? Only Elijah and 7,000. But that's small compared to millions. How many followed Jesus Christ and his message? How many followed him? A little flock. That's how many followed him. He even says this, Matthew 7, 13, 14. Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be with which go in, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Amen? Few. Boy, we get all out of place, out of whack, because we don't see great numbers. Well, if you want numbers, we can get electric guitarists, and we can get new electronic things, and we can blacken the church, and we can shoot smog out, and we can do all kinds of things to track a lot of people if that's what you want. But I'm going to another church. <laughs> Amen. You can get numbers, but what about truth? Amen. I think truth matters. When Christ began to teach some difficult truth to supposedly followers, disciples, John 6.66 6, 6 says this. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Isn't that interesting? Because he began to share with them doctrine. Hey, even after his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, how many were in the upper room? 120. Where were the thousands that he had fed, that he had healed? Why weren't they there? Praying, waiting for the coming of the Spirit. How many followed Paul as he began to teach the mystery program more in depth at the end of his life? 2 Timothy 1.15 says, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia, Turkey, Asia Minor, be turned away from me. Wait a minute. That used to be the hot spot. That was the place Paul's grace teaching had taken root. Yet they had turned their back on Paul's message and its revelation. They were saved, and they went back to the previous Israeli dispensation prophetic program. That's exactly what they did. And that's what most of Christendom does today. 
Paul had worried about these leaders. He says in Acts chapter 20, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul said, here's what's going to happen, and it burdens me so much. You see, if we determine truth according to the majority, then even Christianity is not true. Amen? Can't be true. When in reality, the majority is usually always wrong. Huh? Amen. Now, some question, a question. Why do people and other believers... Get angry with us for believing in rightly dividing dispensations, right division, whatever you want to call it. And we try to share that truth with people. Why do they get so upset and so angry? I was reading a fella by the name of Sean Braxton, and I, I love his work. And he had some notes, and I wanted to share that. One of the first reasons is emotions. It's a personal thing. You see, people still have attachments. And even if they're saved, they still have the same emotions as a lost person. In everybody, the flesh is rotten to its core, whether you're saved or lost. And so that's there. And one's church tradition, it's hard to abandon. You see, they have a belief their family and their friends embrace, they embrace a certain faith. And to go contrary in some areas would make them feel like they were betraying their family and their friends. You see, what they would have to do, they would have to admit they're wrong, that they've been taught wrong in some areas, that they have a faulty foundation. And when that first hits you, pride and emotions kick in. <laughs> they get involved in their thinking, emotions. Another reason that people get upset, denominations. You see, if one accepted right division, they'd have to leave some of the things of their denomination. They'd have to leave baptism. They fall apart on that one. They really do. It's funny. It's a sacred cow. They'd fall apart on tithing, force giving rather than grace giving. No Sabbath keeping, no healing service or tongues and visions and dreams and signs and all those things. 
for them to think they would have to abandon them to become right in their understanding of scriptures, they become angry because they're so attached to them. You see, they equate loyalty to the church and their denomination as loyalty to God. And they just can't leave that. That's a tough call. When they hear of Paul, they feel threatened. So they put up a wall. They say, I don't follow Paul. He's a mere man. While they're following their leadership men in their denomination. But upon hearing dispensational Bible study, it puts them at a crossroads. They have to hear, try to understand, and take everything into consideration around them. I had to do that. But I made a promise. I'm just a bunking. I mean, I'm nothing. But I had to make a decision Am I going to follow the truth of God or what my denomination says? And I said, I'm going to follow the truth of God, even if it's against what some might say. You, you have to come to that conclusion. At least I did. But they, many of them, they struggle to break from their denomination. They begin to realize there's too much to lose, so they turn a blind eye to God's word in what it actually says. And then there's socialization. That's to embrace right division, understanding it cost. They see that it's a sword. And by the way, isn't that what Christ said? He comes to send a sword between families and so on, between friendships between peers, even marriages. I've had a couple of fellows, by the way, that have called me from out of state, and one was even a pastor, and saying he, his wife was leaving him. She won't follow right division. It's an amazing story. I felt so sorry for him. I said, well, I have a wife. Do you want? Oh, no, I didn't go there, but I. (laughs) I'm kidding. But people are afraid of their reputation. Boy, if I go this area here, what will people say? So you're called a heretic, an apostate a church splitter, a traitor, a troublemaker, a fanatic, a Paul worshiper, and and nastier words. (laughs) I say to all those people, John 12, 43, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Amen. And then the other thing, the reason people get angry is salvation. You know, I've heard people say how many people are truly saved. 
And it gets kind of scary sometimes. I, I think uh, Billy Graham even said he only believed that the people that came forward, only probably 10% even had a chance of being saved. I think Les Felix said a couple, 1%. So, in reality, they don't have the Spirit of God living in them. The, the, the spiritual things, they're foolishness to them. They, they can't receive it because of who they are. They have believed in a false gospel. You know, there are a lot of Christians who have believed in a false gospel. And when we say false gospel, a lot of people say, well, you know... You know, voodoo, Hinduism, Muslims, whatever. That, we're talking about churches that dress up with nice dresses and suits and slacks and all these things and come to church and they hear a wonderful milk-down message and so on. They have no clue what the true gospel is. You ask people, what is the gospel? It's shocking, their response. It, it truly is. And then regulation. People hate dispensational truth because it removes works as a requirement to please God. People want to be able to have self-effort so they can have self-worth. Look at what I'm do doing. I'm doing goodness. And they want to focus on that and promote that. They say, I'm just keeping the Ten Commandments which is a lie. And then misinformation. You know, it's like uh, they say, you take all these people in their gospel and you just put them in a blender, <laughs> comes out. And the truth doesn't come out at all. And the sad thing is this here. It also is, it happens in right division churches where they go to the extreme and they confuse people and they hurt people. Perhaps they hold that the body of Christ doesn't start until after Acts 28. Or they believe that Jesus Christ is not omniscient, all-knowing. And on and on it goes. And it just... It hurts people and it divides people. And in the way they say it, they're unkind and very, very critical. Then one hears the word dispensationalism and the other person shuts down and they're angrily upset. Now that shouldn't shake us up too much because even when I was a Baptist, if you said you were a Baptist, they would say, oh, you're one of those. <laughs> so it, it goes with the territory, doesn't it? But some have never heard a true Bible study of right division. And then the last thing is satisfaction. That keeps people from dispensations, rightly dividing, right division. Because some are just content with just being saved. 
They're on their way to heaven, so leave me alone. They've never heard truth beyond the gospel's message. They're comfortable. They're in this box that they've created, and they don't want to make an effort to get out of that box to learn anything else. Jesus says, that's enough for me. Spiritual growth requires great study and effort. And most just want to attend, sit in a pew, shout occasionally, amen, sing a song, tap their feet, a limited effort. Notice the verses on the wall. God says this, who will have all men to be saved. That's through the gospel, right? And to come into the knowledge of the truth. God doesn't want us just to stop and be comfortable seeing people saved. What about their life now? What about their, their foundation? What's their anchor? What's the truth that we are to put inside of them? God wants us to do these things with these people. Right division challenges one to study their Bible on their own. Amen? And that's when you grow. I remember when I was first married. I mean, got saved. And this just between me and Carol, a little something going on. She, I, I, she said, well, the devil's in hell. You know, I said, no, he's not in hell. He's... He's everywhere, and we had to study that out to show that the devil was not in hell. <laughs> He's the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And we went over that. Now, one of the reasons I want to just share that with you is because I have a friend uh, who, gotten, who had gotten saved here some time back, and when he got saved, he told a couple other guys, preachers, he had gotten saved. And he was excited about it. And they said, oh, but you go to that church. <laughs> Not happy about him being saved, that church. Isn't that amazing? You know, most people don't even know what we believe. Do you know that? Let me just remind you, we believe salvation is by grace through faith alone in the gospel alone. It's the only way a person can be saved. If you're here this morning and never been saved, you have to come by faith in what, who Christ is, what he's done for you. Real simple. We also believe, if I can see, in the word of God. We believe it is the final authority, the word of God, we take it literally unless it explains otherwise. And we believe in the King James Bible is the best translation for us today. We believe in security of the believer. We believe when once you're saved, you're always saved. Don't make any apologies for that because we understand that when God forgave you, he forgave you of all your past sin, present sin, future sin. He forgave you of all your sin. That's why it's secure. Amen? Then we also believe in sanctification or godly living. 
just because we believe in grace, grace living is following the instructions that God has for our life. We believe in being holy. We believe in living right, above reproach. Amen. That's a good word, above reproach. We don't want to cast a shadow on the name of Christ. We believe in the second coming of Christ. We believe the next coming is the rapture. We, the body of Christ, are going to be caught up. Then God resumes his dealings with Israel. And at the end of the tribulation, it's called the revelation, that's when Christ returns to the earth, defeats Israel's enemies, and he'll set up his kingdom. The Old Testament saints and those little flock and those people will be raised up at that time, and they get to go into the kingdom. It's going to be a wonderful time for them. I believe that. We also believe in creation. We're against evolution. We believe God created this world and everything in it in six days. Little, literal 24-hour days. Period. God said it was. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. We also believe in a hell. We believe if a person dies never being saved, they'll split hell wide open. And they'll go to an everlasting punishment. We believe it's real. It's not a fairy tale. And also, we believe in right division. That's it. It's real simple. It's not deep. That's who we are. And I'm proud to be a Bible believer and a rightly divider. And you should never get ashamed of that. Amen. It's the only thing that has made sense to me since I've been saved, gone to Bible school, been a pastor for those 20 eight years until it started clicking with me. It's the only thing that has made sense in my interpretation and contextual, literal interpreting of Scripture. And I hope that it will become a part of you too. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you preserved it. We have an inerrant word today called the Bible. It's supernatural. It's living. It does things in us we don't even know. It can divide our soul, our spirit, our thinking, our heart. It goes to the deepest part of our soul. Thank you that we have it. And God, as we who have trusted Christ as our Savior, we believed in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We know our sins are forgiven. We know we're going to heaven. And God, we tell you right now, we want to live for you. We want to be the very best we can be. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning who's never been saved, touch their heart right now. Help them see their need. Help them see the remedy for that need is Jesus Christ and his finished work. And may they by faith today believe in him and come to eternal life. It's available. It's free but they have to believe it in their heart. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. 
We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpindy.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you is our prayer.